Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat episode 75 for August the 14th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski and my guest this week is John Shire. John is a sales engineer with Sophos working out of our Toronto, Ontario, Canada office. Uh, welcome, John. Thanks, Chet. It's good to have you on. That's your uh, first time on the Chat Chat, but uh, you know, you're kind of a veteran to the Chat Chat from the perspective of uh, John travels with me quite frequently doing our anatomy of attack presentations around North America and uh, I figure it would be great to have John's opinion because uh, we work a lot with our customers out in the field and talking about a lot of the security topics of the day when we do our live event and I thought it would be great to have John, uh, John on with us. So uh, the week security news, there's quite a bit. I've, I'm a week behind because I just got back from the Virus Bulletin 2011 conference in Barcelona, Spain and uh, we had some great presentations there by some Sophos folks. So if you're interested in reading up on their papers and slides, etc., visit Naked Security. We've got a presentation from Paul Bacchus and Stephen Edwards on uh, how to detect Olay2 files, which is probably more for the researchers out there. But we also have presentations on what's called snowshoe spam by Brett Cove and a presentation on the way fake antivirus guys use malware distribution networks to uh, distribute their wares by owner Camille here in the Vancouver office. So there's some good content up there. Feel free to uh, check out Naked Security. And we're also going to do a podcast next week with uh, each of the panelists that was uh, presenting their papers and talking a little more in depth about their research. So um, what some sad news, of course, everybody's been talking about uh, the death of Steve Jobs over the last week. And uh, unfortunately, over the weekend, I believe on October 8th, uh, Dennis Ritchie, or Dr. Ritchie, as many of us would call him, uh, the father of the C programming language and uh, Unix and uh, many other huge contributions to computer science uh, over the last uh, 40 plus years, uh, passed on over the weekend. So for those of us that uh, are more of the bearded Unix geek flavor, um, not that we don't respect and uh, mourn the passing of uh, Steve Jobs as well, but... Uh, Dennis Ritchie was, uh, as Wired put it, uh, the, uh, the, the man that Steve Jobs stood on the shoulders of. So um, there's a lot to remember the last week about computer history and, and some fine individuals who have uh, departed us. Uh, as far as news for this week goes, though, um, Apple, big patches this week. Um, as typical with Apple, kind of a surprise. They didn't bother to pre-announced that on a given day you might be getting a giant update, although many folks suspected this was coming along with the release of iOS 5 and the announcement of the iPhone 4S. But they patched uh, over 70 vulnerabilities in several different products. So I think if you add it all up, John, it was like 150 plus security vulnerabilities fixed this week. Uh, I know you've, you've got an iPad and things. Uh, did, you, did you take the plunge? Did you upgrade to iOS 5? Did you update the iTunes? I, I Actually, I did. So um, I, I wouldn't say immediately. I had uh, had to do an emergency trip to Cleveland yesterday, which was uh, which was lovely. But um, at the end of the day, as as we're often fond of preaching when it comes to uh, to protecting yourselves and your data against breach and against uh, malware, you know, patch, 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 right? So uh, I try to practice what I preach most often, and so I did upgrade my iTunes on on Windows, and uh, I upgraded to iOS 5 on my iPad as well as uh, on my Apple TV because I know that there were some uh, some patches for that as well. I think notably on Apple TV is really to get rid of the DigiNotar stuff that uh, might have been included in there. So, yep, definitely did that uh, as soon as I was able to. Yeah, the, the DigiNotar stuff was also finally removed from the iOS devices in version 5. 
uh, it does leave questions lingering for those folks running, you know, iPhone 3s and, and older, that kind of thing, where the, the older iPhone devices and, and iPod touches and things can't be patched. But at least if you have a modern uh, iPhone or iPod Touch, Apple TV, all those things, in addition to the DigiNotar stuff, there were a lot of remote execution, uh, code execution vulnerabilities, including one that allows attackers with a simple single line of JavaScript in a web page to completely um, pretty much own any kind of uh, Apple device, including OS X. Uh, there is another warning out there, though. There's a lot of reports of folks, if you dual boot your Macintosh and you're running Lion uh, 10.7, there is apparently a bug that kind of bricks your Mac if you do this update. So I'm not sure, as usual, Apple's not very transparent, so we don't know if they're planning on fixing this or if there's going to be a patch soon or if that patch will be days or weeks. Uh, if you're really paranoid about security, you may want to consider going down to just running Lion and applying the update. Uh, but if you're dual booting Lion and Snow Leopard or Windows, etc., uh, my understanding is there's big problems, so you might want to wait for there to be another update and um, take your chance with the roll of the dice that nobody's going to try to exploit those flaws while you're waiting for a fix from Apple. Uh, Microsoft, of course, had their patches this week, too. We had Patch Tuesday on uh, this Tuesday. There were eight bulletins, two of which were critical. And uh, the biggest one, I think, that impacts most folks is related to Internet Explorer. There was several IE vulnerabilities that were privately disclosed, but according to Microsoft, would be somewhat easy to exploit. So um, as John's point, you know, I mean, we preach a lot about patching, and, and, I, and I get a lot of guff from uh, you know, security experts going, oh, you know, the patching's not everything, and zero day this and zero day that. But uh, from Virus Bulletin last week in Spain, you know, Microsoft presented some really interesting material talking about that you know, pretty much the 99% of the attacks against a given exploit all occur after that exploit has been patched, and many times more than 30 days after that exploit has been patched. So I mean, patching really does have a lot of value for people, and, and it's, it's shocking to see that the vast quantity of exploitations occurring long after you had the ability to actually fix yourself. Uh, have, have you had any um, um, experiences with the, with the Windows patching stuff? I mean, I, I know most of our customers seem to, I mean, you talk to customers a lot more than I do, so I'd be interested in your perspective. And most of the folks I talk to say they're using things like WSUS uh, to upgrade their, their Windows patches. But uh, are, are we seeing people ask a lot more questions or being more aggressive about things like Adobe Flash and Adobe Reader and, um, you know, for that matter, you just mentioned iTunes or QuickTime. I mean, all these things need to be patched. Are, are, we, are people asking questions about that? I think that people largely, you know, think that they do have things under control when it comes to patching. Um, I, I think they could be a little less uh, blasé about it sometimes. I think, they, they you know, the, the process exists and they, they kind of go through and say, okay, yeah, Patch Tuesday comes along and, and eventually they get around to it. Um, most people are quite diligent though and, and the customers that I talk to uh, are fairly diligent about getting the patches but they'll enough of them will admit that hey you know what this time around we were too busy and we just didn't get, uh, get didn't get the patches out uh, out in time I think one of the things that you mentioned there with, with respect to Adobe uh, and it was a, a, a nice thing that I heard from a, a customer um, just the way that they were thinking about patching and they did have a patching solution in place they were uh, concerned about just making sure that the the patches that they they were uh, you know applying or supposed to be applying were indeed making it to the endpoints and uh, that that can sort of be the 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 problem with with the patching infrastructures today is, is you can you know 
have these systems that, that push these patches down and, and they say, yeah, yeah, I've pushed it down to the operating system, but uh, th there have been many cases where those patches either have not made it to the operating system and for some reason uh, did not trigger any kind of alert on the, the console side, if you will, or they, they have made it to the system, but they never really actually got applied or they're waiting for a reboot or something like that. So um, we're talking, and, and the way this came about is we're actually talking about our um, our new patch assessment feature that's coming out in, in version 10 in the uh, sort of the next few weeks, I guess, uh, version 10 will be released. But uh, patch assessment essentially is going to assess a system and, and determine which patches are missing from that system. It will assess Windows systems only, but not just for Windows software. So uh, it'll be looking at things like Windows. And I, then I said, and Adobe, and, and one of the guys kind of piped up right then and there. He goes, well, that takes care of all of them, doesn't it? So um, it just the sheer amount of patching that's coming out of even guys like Adobe, or sort of patches that are coming out of guys like Adobe these days, is is enough to to bring pause and and really bring the importance of how how you should have these processes and be diligent about making sure that these these patches are being um, implemented and and uh, you know you might have to QA them. We understand that you might have a test uh, environment that you have to run them through first for all your applications, your custom applications as well as your business critical applications. But uh, you know honestly, we we need to get this done uh, much faster than we currently are because to your point, it, it really isn't just the zero day stuff that uh, is being impacted in a major way. It's it's these patches that have existed for as much as thirty days, as you said. Yeah, there's there's a real issue with both verification and uh, the the speed. I mean, the speed is really important. And the idea that people go, well, I need to test for two weeks, three weeks, a month. Some, some organizations that I talk to you know, only do patching quarterly. And the amount you're exposed to and the amount of damage to your business, the amount of data stolen, the amount of hacks, the amount of you know, spreading viruses in the network, compared to the risk of Microsoft or Adobe releasing something that truly impacts your environment, it's, it's kind of silly to think that you need that time. I really, I mean, there, are the, you know, there have been the occasional updates that, that do cause some real pain. For people, but compared to the the pain they're already suffering by not having those updates, uh, you really have to start weighing those risks. In my opinion, more rationally, I, I think that a lot of the change control processes aren't very rational today. So, um, anyway, Patch Tuesday, Apple patches. Um, you know, last month we had Adobe patches. Uh, you know, it's well, and actually, uh, I, t I interviewed Brad Arkin two weeks ago on the chat chat from Adobe, uh, head of security over there. And it's one of the interesting things since they've released Adobe Reader X, there has not been a successful exploit against it that's required them to go out of band of their quarterly patch cycle that they've done for Adobe Reader. So if you look at you know historically patching things like Flash and Reader, there's been a reasonable amount of unpredictable patches for zero-day incidents that do disrupt patch cycles. And by simply getting Reader 10 out there, at least for now, you eliminate that problem. You can predictably know that four times a year you need to look at Reader, and when you do, those updates come out in a predictable fashion. So um, it sounds like we're making some pretty good headway and improvements on this. I think that, so if you let me interrupt for a second, I think that also brings about a good point that every once in a while, you know, with Adobe Reader 10 coming out, and every once in a while, jumping on a new product is, is a really good thing because I think the, the way that Adobe sort of restructured that, that program. Um, it, it just, it's really made, as you said, the, uh, the, 
the incidence of of, of exploits for that uh, that particular piece of software has have, have really lessened. So um, you know, moving from from even just nine to ten, I think has could have a big impact on on organizations if they haven't done so already, and and probably even lessen some of the patch burden that they already have today, and that they only have to concentrate now on on other things like the Microsoft patches and other things. Exactly. The 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 idea is to get rid of the bulk of the stuff that's causing you all the pain, so you can focus on the more specific stuff that's a lot harder. And if you can stay up to date on your Microsoft patches, get in uh, more reliable, predictable patching on the platforms you are using, then that gives you a lot more time to focus on the hard stuff that you're being asked to do. Uh, apparently, our, uh, not. Uh, hopefully this isn't a surprise to anyone, but um, it's been confirmed for the first time. Apparently, our government's shock, shock, are spying on us. Um, it was uh, revealed this week, uh, the, the Trojans being called the R2-D2 Trojan. Um, in Germany that uh, the German government contracted with a software firm in Europe to develop a customized Trojan for intercepting Skype communications, instant messenger communications, and other things um, on behalf of the German government. And an individual who was traversing the um, immigration and customs uh, had their laptop temporarily seized and when they got it back it mysteriously had this Trojan installed. So. We got a lot of questions about, well, you're a legitimate antivirus company, and if this is under the authority of insert government entity here, whether that be the 31-letter um, German federal police institution that did it in Germany, or whether that be the FBI or our MI6 or whoever it might be in another country, um, should we be surprised? I mean, uh, or, well, more than that, they're asking as an antivirus vendor, you know, are we somehow being disloyal to the country's... Um, that we're working within by detecting this Trojan. No, well, that <laughs> that's the easy. short answer anyways. And I, I think Graham put it um, almost as succinctly in, in, the, uh, in the Naked Security article that, you know, we're going to detect all manners of Trojans that uh, are on, on systems. And, and basically any, any piece of software that is on a system that was not put there by you or by an authorized party is uh, by definition something, you know, something that you don't want as something that is uh, is potentially malicious and something that is uh, potentially well criminal in some in some jurisdictions by uh, by actually adding code to uh, and I think I believe that the the, the German uh, law has this in in, uh, in on their books that uh, you cannot change or modify code um, on an operating system without authorization. But at the end of the day, you know, again to to, to bring back Graham's point is that it, this doesn't preclude somebody from hijacking this particular approved, if you will, Trojan because it comes from a government agency. What if a bad guy gets a hold of this and, and decides to uh, to subvert that piece of software? And if we, in turn, end up ignoring that, then we are just part of the problem, not part of the solution. Yeah, it's sort of the Sony rootkit situation again. I mean, you may have voluntarily, or well, maybe without your knowledge, the Sony rootkit was a bit more complicated, but it was being used to cloak legitimate malware. And there are, there's real concerns there, aside from whether it's appropriate our governments do this or not. Uh, in the case of the German government, at least, they are saying that this was legal. Uh, it's up to the courts to ultimately determine that, of course, in Germany. But the government itself is saying that they have the right to do this when they, uh, um, when they need to spy upon individuals. For And I imagine it's no different than a wiretap, perhaps, under their law. It's, it's a bit of a murky area as uh, when it becomes something that's uh, uh, code implanted on your computer doing something without your authorization. But uh, I think it would be an interesting case to watch. And um, you know, it's also going to be interesting to see if it turns into a cat and mouse game between um, you know, 
Barack Obama and Stephen Harper and everybody else out there having their agencies, their intelligence agencies, having to write new and you know more advanced malware to try to defeat the antivirus vendors, just like the criminals. And I, I wonder if the government could possibly do as good job as the real criminals do at innovating and continuing to try to beat us. But um, you know, on, on that note, I'm going to wrap up here in just a moment. I want to remind everyone that October, for those of you in the United States, is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and uh, Sophos and Astero Network Security are working together with the NCSA and some other organizations within uh, the government and the public sector to help raise awareness of people about computer security uh, all the way from you know your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister all the way on up to small businesses and others who uh, can use some help and some tips around how to be safer online. Uh, for more information on that kind of stuff, you can visit staysafeonline.org for some great materials. And uh, there's a great video if you want to have a, a laugh if you haven't seen it before called Don't Be a Billy. And uh, we're going to be co-doing an event um, with myself and Michael Kaiser from the NCSA on October 27th in Washington, D.C. at the W Hotel across the street from the White House. And if you're able to join us, um, please visit Sophos.com, go to our events page, or follow my tweets on Twitter. And we've got information in the sign-up page. You can join us for some free cocktails and an educational presentation from ourselves and the NCSA and some other organizations on how to stay safer online. Uh, as well as that, we also have Anatomy of Attack upcoming in Washington, D.C. on November 9th. And I believe you'll be joining us, John? Certainly, yeah. This uh, should, be a good, should be a good one in the nation's capital. Yeah, it's, it, we're really looking forward to it. So we're going to be in Arlington, Virginia for Anatomy of Attack November 9th. And as well, if you go to Sophos.com and visit our events page, you can register there if you're able to join us. And it's about a half-day event where John and I kind of tear apart the modern threat landscape, do some malware demos, and explain some of the latest techniques you can use to better defend against uh, all the changing threat landscape we've seen over the last few years. So please join us for that. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available at podcasts.sophos.com. Uh, via RSS, on iTunes, as well as Stitcher, if you use Stitcher on your mobile. And until next time, stay secure. <laughs>